0: Greetings. My name is Linda Talaferro, and this is the Being Brown at Work podcast. I help black and brown female professionals confidently and expertly navigate the corporate world so that they can reach new career heights and establish their seat at the table. So whether you're kicking off a new career, leaning in a new direction, or looking to climb the corporate ladder within your current job, I'm here to propel your career forward by giving you an insider's look at cultivating an executive mindset, creating leadership opportunities, establishing an executive presence, and more. So join me every week as I guide you towards becoming a leader in the corporate world and show you how to step into your true power and potential. Greetings. Hey. Greetings, everyone. It is that time of the week, Being Brown Live with Linda Talafero. And I have a fantastic guest uh, with us for this episode. A lot of you've been seeing the post. I noticed you've been sharing them. So I could tell you're just as interested about what this young woman's going to share with us tonight. And no further ado, I'm going to jump into her bio, it's longer than the other ones I've read because you want to know everything this woman, this young lady's been doing in her career. Uh, Dr. Amina Gilliard james is a talent and organizational development strategist with a passion for helping individuals and organizations transform. She has extensive experience working in the public sector Higher education and nonprofit organizations, and is currently an adjunct professor in organizational leadership and learning at George Washington University. In 2019, Dr. Amina published her first book, Power 31 A Working Guide to Goal Setting and Progressing with Purpose. She also penned a chapter titled The Leadership Challenge Success Strategies for Black Millennials in the book, Reaching Senior Leadership. 10 Growth Strategies Every Government Leader Should Know. So you want to purchase both those books, the one she penned a chapter in and hers that she published. In addition, Dr. Amina is an experienced speaker, having presented at various conferences and engagements, including the Positive Organizational Scholarship Conference, University of Maryland Race and Ethic Politics Conference, Academy of Human Resource Development International Conference in the Americas, and the 15th International Conference on Human Resource Development, Research and Practice across Europe. She has also been published by the Journal of Oncology, Navigation and Survivalship and the American Psychosocial Oncology Society. Dr. Amina earned a doctorate in human and organizational learning from George Washington University. Her dissertation focused on professional identity construction of Black women government executives at the intersection of race and gender. She also earned a master's degree in health education from Pennsylvania State University, my home state, love that, and a post-master's certificate in grief, loss, and life transitions counseling from George Washington University. In addition, Dr. Amina holds a certificate of mastery in diversity and inclusion from Georgetown University and the Office of Personnel Management. She is also a Gallup certified Clifton strength coach, certified health education specialist, and a bronze level certified in Kilpatrick training evaluation. Dr. Mina is a proud member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, Tau Delta Zeta Chapter in Prince George's County, Maryland. In addition, she has been recognized by the Washington Wizards as an outstanding community leader in health and wellness and the Leadership Center for Excellence as a 40 Under 40 honoree. Dr. Amina also served as Miss Black District of Columbia, USA from 2011 to 2012, for which she was featured in the Washington Post and Afro News. See? That I mean, a- you, yeah, but I mean, Dr. Amina, it is <laughs> such an honor to have you as a guest on Bringing Brown Lives. Such an honor. Welcome.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. When I met you a few months ago, no doubt, (laughs) I had to have this connection when I was going to reshift my niche and focus on black and brown women. So I think, Dr. Amina, what we talked about before um, actually scheduling this session is that you were going to share some details around your dissertation. Right. So um, I would love for you just just if you could tell us what made you even think about writing a dissertation to focus on the professional identity construction of Black women executives. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so sorely needed because a lot of us, I mean, we know who we are, we think, right? But there's a difference in our identity as we show up in the workplace. So tell us a little bit, why did you even think about that subject? Sure. Well,
1: for my um, doctoral program, we're really encouraged well, required to do um, a dissertation that has something to do with change, leadership, or learning. Um, and I've always been interested in leadership. So that's kind of the route I wanted to go. And I knew, you know, being at a predominantly white institution, um, I love my alma mater, George Washington University, but it is what it is. I knew that right. I wanted to do something more critical. You know, if I'm going to be there and be forced to do research in order to graduate with my degree... That I wanted it to be really meaningful, um, and I wanted to elevate voices that are not, you know, typically elevated. So I knew that I wanted to do something with the uh, population of people that I identified as um, Black. And so I thought about it, and I just, you know, you have to narrow down your research topic and your population. So I said, well, I'm a Black woman. You know, I work for the government. You know, in my nine to five. What is it that I feel like I'm missing? And it has to be scholarly. You can't just say, "I think this is an issue," and write a dissertation, do dissertation research about it. You know, you have to be able to prove with the literature that that there's something missing. There's a gap. Um, uh-huh. so yeah. So what I did was, you know, I went to the literature and I saw that um, studies about Black women leaders or Black leaders were really decontextualized. Like a lot of times, they're about uh, Black leaders or Black people in leadership positions but not specifically about women, or they're about women, but not specifically about Black women. Mm. Um, and I also noticed that a lot of those focused on, a lot of the qualitative and even the quantitative research focused on Black women when they were already settled in their careers. There weren't yeah. really a lot of retrospective um, studies showing what the Black women had to do to climb the ladder, like what their lived experiences were as they were going through that process. Yes. Uh, and on top of that, I knew that I really wanted to do something with storytelling. And in qualitative research, there's a few different ways you can do that. But I stumbled upon a methodology called narrative inquiry that I really love. And I, we can get more into it later. But basically, it allows you to tell your story alongside the participants in your research study. So I just thought it was a perfect fit um, for what I wanted to study. Usually, when you do a dissertation, you choose what you want to study. Then you choose the methodology, but mine kind of happened at the same time. Um, okay, yeah, I just I saw that there was a need, uh, and I really wanted to work on elevating the voices and those experiences. And as far as the identity construction piece, um, my undergrad degree is actually in behavioral science, so I've always been more psychology and social leaning, um, even though my doctorate is in education. Mm-hmm. Um, and studying leadership, I've always had like the psychology, psychological and sociological means, so i just mean, yeah I do not recommend doing a dissertation on me. <laughs> it is messy. But yeah. if you're into that stuff, you know, it, it could be really fruitful.
0: Well, you know, that that is this is awesome and I and, and I can't wait to to delve in. So let's just dive in because what is what I think is gonna be so valuable in what you're about to share with us is the fact that you talked to these women and you got their real lived experiences because a lot of us read books or they might might even read uh, papers white papers whatnot and you wonder I mean d- does anybody really know what I'm going through as a black woman executive or someone that's trying to get that seat at the table because what I'm reading doesn't seem to fit my experience right so the fact that you did a study with real women and and showcasing giving them a voice to their li- their lived experiences is just so powerful so one of if you don't mind, why don't you just share what you have learned uh, during your study and your research?
1: Um, well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Linda, that was one of the reasons I also wanted to do it to kind of not necessarily provide a roadmap, but to say to people out there who are going through similar experiences that, you know, you are seen, what you're going through is valid and understood. And to be honest, all of the women I talked to thanked me um because no one had ever asked them their story before. Mm, the story. Wow. You know, and they had just been, I mean, these are senior executives, so they're at the height of their careers, in a sense, um, and no one had ever stopped and asked them what they went through to get there. So I ended up with six women in my study. Uh, and, I, I mean, I learned so much. I'll just hit on a few points. Okay. Um, one thing that I learned was that cultural identity was really a huge source of positivity um, for these ladies. So let me take a step back. So as far as my framework for the study, I was really looking for something very specific. Um, I had, I set forth a few assumptions at the beginning of my study about what black women who have reached this executive status, maybe their psychological processes, the things they had to go through. So my assumption was that in order for these black women to reach this status when there was, I'll just give you an example. I ended mm-hmm. up with this woman in my study. My resistance had to be from the D.C. area. I only had about 13 to reach out to.
0: Wow.
1: Out of all the senior executives in the federal government across all agencies.
0: Okay. So, eight. okay. Let's say that one. but You only had 13
1: yeah. out of
0: all the agencies in the federal government. So Unbelievable.
1: Said, well, let me uh, clarify that. So it kept lonely down. So there are more okay. than 13. Let's say there are 20 total. But then... The number of those that were willing to put their story out there. Mm, okay. When you're in this pool and there's only you know a few of you, everything could be identifiable. Every aspect of your story, someone got can be, it. Oh, that's I so, so that agency. Yeah, so I got it. Okay. Out of thirteen, and out of the thirteen people that I had contact with, only about half of those were like,
0: "Yeah, let's." We're willing. This. Let's talk about it. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. let's It's a very small number. So, like, it's very hard to keep it a secret, like, who it is. Sure, Those sure. Those who enrolled in the study really had to be like, you know what, forget it. If people find out, you know, it's me, fine. Um, But so I did that. And as far as the framework, I was looking specifically to see what helped these women reframe challenges that they had to go through. And, you know, I used the research to really set up my assumption that they had to reframe negative challenges. It's a positive. And so I used um, a positive professional identity framework and had pathways to kind of explain different ways that a person could construct a positive professional identity. Okay. That like, you know, it has to be for a dissertation, it has to be rigorous research. So I looked at four specific pathways to do this. Now, the framework I use, it states in its research that, excuse me, it does not take into on or into account like cultural differences and stuff, so I had to account for that as well. So I was specifically looking for the positive content in these women's stories and constructing their identity. And what happens, Linda, is when you take a participant, when you take when I was taking the woman on their journey from, you know, let's start from the beginning, when you first started your career, or even when you were in school with uh-huh. the career. Up until where they are now, what you're actually doing is const- reconstructing your identity and your experiences in real time. So yeah. the stories that they were sharing, I was able to take those transcripts and make that information and analyze it and pick out the positive content. Like, oh, you know, um, Tracy encountered this and this is how she responded. That process was part of her professional professional identity construction.
0: Sure. Okay.
1: So, moving back. Um, what I found across the narratives of the black women was that their cultural identity as black women played a large role and a huge source of positivity um, for their professional identity.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. In what way? You know, I mean, that's that's curious to me because some people would say that the fact that we are black women trying to make this corporate ladder climb that it's a negative because of the double gender and race. Uh, schism, gen you know sexism racism we have to deal with so we've got that double whammy against us so how could my cultural identity as a black woman be a positive so if you could h- help me understand that that's that's so very interesting
1: it's very messy <laughs> so you have your salient identity um how you look you know your yes. complexion your skin color whether you seems to be, a you know, male aligning or female aligning. And this is how okay. the social world perceives you. Ah. Oh. But <laughs> so then you have your non-salient social identity, things like your cultural identity, your religious identity, you know, mm. other things that maybe people can't see. If you're a member of, let's say, the L2B2I plus community, you have those identities. And whether your identity is non-salient, meaning people can't see it on the surface, or salient, people can see it on the surface, Both types of identities can provide you sources of information or sources of a way that you enact them. Okay. So for these women, their cultural identity, which is, you can look at it as being internal, something that you can't really see. Gotcha. This this is the part that helps them. So of course you get the double whammy from like discrimination, other barriers, because of the intersection of your, like I said, the double, um, Double marginalized identity, right? You have the culture identity. So, for example, um, things like things that were brought up in the research, like you know, being taught that you had to be ten times better than everyone else, actually played in some of the women's favor. Um, having the connection to uh, slavery uh, and how the, our ancestors overcame being enslaved, people played to um, or added positivity in the process of some of the mm.
0: work
1: identity construction, being taught from an early age to speak up, or having roots or ties to the civil rights movement, or parents with ties to the civil rights movement, things that are uniquely African-American, um, those also were a source of positivity in their professional identity. Ah. Ah-ha-ha. Yeah. So uh-huh. That's powerful. That is powerful.
0: Yes. We
1: have have the social world that perceives us how they think, you know, how they think we identify. And then we have our other identity that they can't really perceive because they don't, you know, they don't have that information about us. They can't, you can't look at me and tell whether I'm a Christian or a Muslim. So it's the same, but you better believe that my religion and my faith plays a large part into how I display
0: know, how I present myself. So it's the same idea. Yes. It's because things that i meant I' on work is making sure that they strengthen their unique persona, their brand. And part of who we are, our brand is exactly what you're talking about. It's those things that people don't see. You know what is your morals, your integrity? What do you stand for? What do you live by? What's important to you? What's you know? Why do you speak truth power? What is or, or what are the lines that people can cross? And and then those because those are rooted in something, right? And a lot of them is what you were raised to be. Like I was told the same thing: work hard, work hard, be be three times better than the next person, right? Um, So wow, that is extremely interesting. So for these women, things like that were a benefit to them because they were able to leverage that. Is that what I understand? Okay, great. Oh, awesome. And so I would imagine they walked in their authenticity then, or did you find in any point in time for these six women that they struggled with being authentically a Black woman?
1: Definitely for all of them. Um, Mm. But... The purpose of my research was to kind of chronicle that journey. So while they may have struggled with it at first, all of them, by the time they got to, you know, the point of being executive, kind of had an epiphany moment, if you will, and just like, you know what? I'm here now. I'm just going to be who I am. So that was also ah. very funny that they kind of felt like they had to wait in most cases, um, to really be that authentic person. But it's that cultural identity that kept them going to get to that point.
0: Got it. Got it. Oh, I love this. So what else would you say would be something that was a common thread across the six women that helped them in their careers?
1: Well, um, I don't know if this helped. I don't think this helped them, but I found it to be interesting because it was we weren't expecting. I actually had to go back to like 1980s literature to find a word for it. But the ladies overall described a sense of feeling invisible. Um, mm. so, you know, we talked about having a at the table and also having a voice at the table, but they literally described being felt like they weren't seen at all. And, um, I found out through my research that this is called intersectional invisibility. That's mm. the term for when you have dual marginalized identities. And yes. You're not seen. And this was really important to my research because the way I framed my study was that the black, the black and the woman identities were inseparable. Um, that being a black woman is a unique social location is what they call it on like the axis of identity. Um, so it was really important for me to be able to put a name to that, um, because mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, just your experiences as a black person or just your experiences as a woman. We're talking about both at the same time. Um, so I think for them also learning that there was a name to what they had felt, um, over the course of their careers really Kind of gave them a new sense of empowerment. Yes, one of the participants actually called me and told me, you know, I was doing a follow up interview, and she was like, you know, I've decided to tell my story at a keynote address I'm giving at a university. She's like, it'll be the first time I publicly talk about my struggles and my story of getting to where I am as a senior executive. So I think it really powerful um, for them.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That's, I mean, that's powerful for, for her to feel like she had that sense of, yeah, you used it empowerment and probably liberation. I would imagine as well, it was quite liberating for them, uh, for her and maybe some of the others as well. So, you know, when, when, when you talk about invisibility, not being seen, I mean, that's prevalent. I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and then, you know, we talk about people's building their self-confidence, being able to use their, find their voice first of all, and then use it to advocate for themselves. Did these women share any of that experience Mm -hmm. with you?
1: So a few of the women actually spoke of um, becoming mentors. Um, They spoke of using their power and influence to hire more people of color under them, especially women. Um, Okay. They spoke of, Finding their way as far as being able to speak up for themselves when certain microaggressions occurred mm-hmm. uh, what are called trivializing acts, like they're like microaggressions, but other things you know that people could say. Uh, one woman, Shay, these aren't their real names. Sure, sure. Um, he talked about an experience where she was new on a, on the job, and she had a presentation in a meeting. And she went to the room, and it was you know no one was there. Turns out everyone got the email. She was only Black person on the team. Turns out everyone got the email um, that didn't notify them that the room was changed except for her. And she's oh. Yeah, it's just in those interactions where we really have to like stop and think, like, is this because I'm Black or is this because I'm Black? <laughs> or, you know? And so right. those things kept occurring, um, those microaggressions and marginalizing interactions that it might be, but you're not sure and you can't complain to HR really because you really don't have any, ed- so it's those things that really um, that we kept seeing time and time again. But it was beautiful to see how over time the woman used these experiences to help others and to mm. also I mean, in their career. You know, they weren't held back by them, and it you know it it really was bittersweet because we yeah. all talked about how, uh, you know, these things that we have to go through. A lot of women, a lot of pe- you know, black people, um, maybe wouldn't have continued having to deal with that's true maybe they would have left the government or maybe they would have been like or left the organization we actually had actually I think all the women did a fair amount of moving around because they had to find an organization that would actually give them an executive position one woman actually had to leave the position that she went through the candidate development program at because they wouldn't even interview her for an actual position and so she left the organization um, And then she came, they actually called her years later to come back and run the organization. So is
0: how it works. that is how it works, is it not? That is how it works. I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually going to be, as we get closer here to wrapping up this session, that was going to be something that I was going to ask you. Did you find any of those six women that, you know, just maybe pretty much took a stand for themselves and mm-hmm. left a toxic environment because of the fact that they didn't see the growth opportunity for themselves or they were not in the right um, atmosphere or culture to support their growth and, and you just you just said that. Sounds like all of them did basically. Yeah.
1: So well another one of my participants actually uh, retired in the middle of the study and so it was wow. like sad that she had reached the pinnacle of her career but you know, she just couldn't she couldn't deal with some of the things that were happening, and she was pretty sure it was because she was a black woman. Um, she was just kind of being put in a box and, and in a corner. So she was just, yeah. you know, I'm over it. She retired. So, yeah, wow. it, it happened in some shape or form, I would say, in at least four out of the six.
0: Wow. And I will tell you, I did a panel at the Women of Color Conference here a couple of years ago in Detroit, and actually two of the women on the panel with me, it was just three of us, were in the government. And some of the examples that they shared of the, what they were dealing with really resonated, sound very similar to corporate America. But the difference, at least at least what I garnered from them and probably from these women is too, you know, the government does their own thing. They you know, they don't necessarily react to society and what's happening like, you know, 2020 and what happened in 2020 with George Floyd and everything else. And you see corporate America now making these, you know, changes and statements and hiring, you know, chief diversity inclusion officers and all these different policies that they're that they're putting into place. And some are really, you know, making impactful change in their cultures. But I, I noticed that the government is necessarily... You know, do that. You know, they don't. They don't seem to let to allow society uh, to ch- to push them. Now we could probably, and, and I don't want this to make a political conversation. We probably say, well, no, maybe not, Linda, because look at you know how things happened. You know, with some of the movements that the young people were driven. But from my like, corporate perspective or from a career perspective, I should say, at least those women gave me the impression, although they've experienced some of the same things I have, it seemed to be status quo and it didn't seem like it was going to change, uh, change much. Now they were in the military side of the government. Yes, Let different. me qualify that. Yes, 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 yes. Very, very different. So I wanted to ask you as we're, we're going to be about five more minutes here uh, before our session ends. Did these women give you, because a lot of them had already reached their seat at the table, they had tenure and time in that environment, did they share with you in their stories that they actually, when they were mentoring people, seeing a shift, that the landscape was changing and things that they may have experienced were reshaped?
1: So um, my research was completed in twenty. 20- the beginning of 2018, I can't say that they they did. I mean, it was a few years ago before, you know, this widespread reinvigoration of this justice movement. Um, But I I can't really say that they mentioned that they felt things were changing. Um, I think what they did feel was that they had a responsibility to help change things. Okay. And that they were going to do their part. I also wanted to bring up another aspect, um, because the one the one woman that I especially think doesn't necessarily think something changed was a woman named Francis. And she really identified more with growing up poor, um, a uh. little socioeconomic status than she did with difficulty growing up as a black or working um in the as a black woman. She felt like this you know, her status of getting a GED and not going to, mm-hmm. to like a community college or faith face- or not to compare the two, but community college and state school. Sure. Have you kind of played more um, into how she was treated in the workplace? You know, her vernacular, um, well, not going to an Ivy League college. So that was just really important to me and I wanted to mention it because, you know, as black women, we're not all the same. We have some different identities. Yes. Um, that define us and that we kind of hold on to and that we can display. So I just really, I gained a lot from her and I think she especially felt like she had a mission because she saw that that aspect especially did like for Black and um, other people of color who don't necessarily have the pedigree you would expect in that position. Yeah. Or trying to climb the ladder to a position like that, it was especially hard.
0: Wow. I'm glad you brought that up because that's extremely important uh, for women to understand their identity and how uh, it may be difficult, but it can be reshaped. And it till and because she made it to the seat at the table, right now it probably had some extra challenges and nuances around the journey for sure. But it was attainable, it was possible, and it happened for her. And and I hope she is one of the ones that's mentoring other people to let them know what's possible. Okay. Um, oh yeah, I, I'm so I'm glad to hear that she is because you're right. All of us are not the same. All of us are not going to go to Ivy League schools. We may not even make it to a, um, a well-known four-year, you know, college. We may have to go to, to your point, community or junior first and then to the next. Uh, I mean, th- there's all different kind of avenues and, and experiences we all bring to the table, which was makes, you know, the fact that you have diversity in your workplace that much more, that much better. Mm-hmm. And and for you to be able to be successful because of the different experiences and, and the different um, mindsets that are around the table, the different voices that you can garner from. And it's just unfortunate that, that in 2021, you know, we're, we're having this conversation still and trying to prove the need still. Right. And even in 2018, your work so sorely needed and you would have thought that probably should have been an old topic long before 2018, but not at all, not at all, not at all. Dr. Amina, this has been, as I knew it would be, so not just educational, but I believe inspirational as well, you know, to hear that, first of all, you saw the gap and you addressed the gap and you gave these women a vehicle for their voices to be heard. And then for them to have the courage to Tell their story um, and to share it for those of us that could continue. That we are still in the journey and can learn from them. So, the um, is there a way for us to get any of this information? Is it accessible to the public?
1: So, if okay. you um, Google I Amina mean, Gilliard James dissertation, it will pop up on request or something like that. And then you Wonderful. Can it. Okay. Google. It's long chapters four and
0: five chapters four and five wonderful chapters four and five and also for those of you uh with me you can see here uh whether you're watching this live or uh you may catch us on replay you see dr amina's website that she's listed there next to her name please go learn more about her she's got like i said a book she's got other very, very valuable information to share and her the breadth and depth of her career and her experiences. And as she's traveled the globe speaking and also um, the fact that she's, uh, you know, done the research that she did and the exposure that she's had working with numerous organizations to help them move the needle. Dr. Amina, it was such an honor and a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Me,
1: Linda.
0: All right, take care. you enjoyed listening to this podcast I have so much more to offer you book a complimentary call with me at slash free consultation so you can start unapologetically achieving your own professional goals as a woman of color and establish a presence as more than just an employee let's go deeper reach your professional goals and apply this life-changing work to your career and beyond so you can rock your corporate game and get that seat at the table.